Welcome to episode 52 of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'll be joined shortly by co-host Kara Goucher, who will actually be leading this interview. Before I introduce today's guest, we feel it's important to emphasize where we stand on the issues of the last few weeks. And just as we believe in a level playing field in sport, we also believe in a level playing field in life for all and especially now we want to affirm and unequivocally say that we believe that black lives matter and we know that words alone aren't enough so we're doing what we can to educate ourselves and ultimately to act in order to fight for the rights of those in the black community and we're here with you we stand with you and we promise to do our part And with that said, I'm excited to introduce today's guest as we talk to Aisha Pratt-Lear. She is a miler and steeplechaser who actually runs for Jamaica, although she grew up here in the U.S. She trains with the Joe Bossard group that includes Emma Coburn, Laura Thweet, Corey McGee, Dom Scott, and others. She is a Commonwealth Games champion and has become a champion for clean sport as she has found her voice on this topic in recent years. And she has some really interesting things to say about doping in sport, including a call for lifetime bans. So with that as your intro, I'll turn it over to Kara, who's leading this interview. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Kara Gauchier here with the Clean Sport Collective podcast. I'm coming at you from Boulder, Colorado, and my co-host today is Chris McClung. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great, Kara. You're still in Texas. Still in Texas. It's getting really hot here, but uh, so far, so good. Well, good. Okay, so today we have a super fun guest, someone that I've had the pleasure of running with over the last few years. We have Aisha Proutlier. Aisha, how are you today? Hello. I'm fabulous and also just down the road in Boulder, Colorado. Feeling good. Good. So we've had such good weather lately. Like I feel like last May on the last day of school, Colt was in a winter coat, winter hat, gloves. And this year it's beautiful. Oh, my running tan lines are out of control, but I think that we paid our dues with the 30 inches at the start of the quarantine. So, <laughs> so true. I don't know. I don't know. I think we're just like getting all the good juju now. I know. We we definitely deserve it. So Aisha, we want to learn a lot about you, but we want to go back to little young Aisha. What was she like? Where did you grow up? What was your personality like? Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, here's a secret that's not a secret anymore. I was a very weird kid. Um, <laughs> like maybe still am, but I grew up in Moline, Illinois. Um, and I was an only child until I was seven. So I, um, was pretty introverted and was into things like Pokemon cards and karate and, um, gymnastics. And, um, yeah, I didn't start running until I was in middle school. I was a sprinter and then I didn't start actually running long distance until I was a junior in high school. Um, But yeah, I just kind of kept to myself and I was pretty goofy. I have shared with my teammates. One of my proudest accomplishments is one summer I jumped 1,009 consecutive pogo stick jumps by myself. (laughs) Just a little like uh, peek into my childhood. Um, So that was like the norm for me. Um, But 
Yeah, I grew up in Moline, Illinois. Um, I had I have a little brother who I grew up with in my nuclear American family. Um, as you might know, my I have a very unique family dynamic. Um, having my American family that I grew up with and my Jamaican family that I met later in life. Um, but yeah, so early days in the Midwest. Um, went to Moline High School and you know, just found my way, kind of a late bloomer into the scene of being a normal person. But here I am today. Well, you compete for Jamaica. So tell us that part of the story. Yeah. So um, fast forwarding, I, um, in 2014, the summer of 2014, um, it had been a topic within my nuclear American family for about a year. Uh, that I was ready to meet my biological father. And um, yeah, it just like wasn't a topic. I grew up in a small town and um, had a great childhood and everything was just like, other than me being a weirdo, everything was like very normal, um, except for growing up as a brown person in a white family, um, what was the sort of like, bingo, something isn't like totally normal here. Um, and I didn't really ask him any questions until I was an adult and sort of wanted to discover more of who I was. So talking with my family for about a year, my mom, uh, reached out to my biological father who lives in Berlin. Um, and we have the great fortune as track athletes of traveling and being based at the time I would be based in Europe in the summers anyway. So, uh, in 2014, my boyfriend at the time, husband now, Will and I traveled to Berlin to meet my biological father. It was right after my last USA's in 2014. And, uh, it was just one of those moments that I I don't think that I have the vocabulary to describe or I like need to spend some time writing about it uh, to be able to describe exactly how I felt. But it was just such a rush of becoming into myself immediately uh, upon sort of like completing who I was in meeting my father. So um, it, it was amazing. And uh, from that moment, I just learned all about my huge Jamaican family and was immediately just like enveloped into this love and family and culture that I only learned about when I was um, a young adult. So um, over the next year, I had to make a decision what what I wanted to do. Um, I became a dual citizen in 2014. And um, had to choose which, um, which country I wanted to represent. I was sort of running better and better each year and, uh, I hadn't yet represented Team USA. So before I, um, got really any better, (laughs) I kind of needed to decide, uh, where I wanted my, uh, sporting allegiance to lie. So I chose, um, I declared with Team Jamaica in 2015 and never looked back. It's been, really awesome, um, different than, uh, my team USA teammates and their experience on team boss and at OTC. Um, but yeah, it's just been great. It's been like a, a big 
moment of life enrichment for me. I think that's so amazing. And I I think we've talked about this, but my father was from Croatia and there was some, you know, discussions in my family at one point, like, well, should you be running for Croatia? And, you know, I made the decision that no, that I, I just, whatever, I'm here. But I think it's so beautiful. And I just am like wondering, how, what has that done for your life? Like meeting all these new family members and being immersed in this new culture. Like, I imagine it's just enriched your life so much. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I've had is reconsidering the nature and nurture argument. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I was like a total nurture person. Like, you know, wherever you, what, what's the saying? Like, where you plant or you grow where you're planted or something like that, which is true to an extent. But some of my siblings and I are so shockingly similar that it like that it still astounds me and having I I always as I said earlier like I grew up um as an only child for the you know my formative years and I so badly wanted siblings and I really wanted sisters and I never had that until now I am 30 and I have like 11 siblings total and I have sisters that I'm close with and my my sister Ananda came to our wedding in 2016, and it's just like all of these moments that I wish I had growing up, I have now. Um, and a, another thing that is I think unique to someone in my position is I always grew up like obsessed with families who looked alike um, because I didn't look like my family, and I was obsessed with twins, and I still am. Like when I see uh, siblings who look so much alike. I just want to squeeze them. They're so cute. And, (laughs) um, I now have that with all of my, uh, Jamaican family. And it's like, it's so special to feel so included on a genetic level and also just on a level of, um, of knowing, knowing each other and having these bonds that are just part of being family. Um, and having that really all over the world because my, my siblings are all over the world. So it's been really special. You know, if I'm in London, I get to see my sister, Sophie, if I'm in Jamaica, I have three siblings there. If I am on the East coast, I've got two siblings there. If I'm in Germany, I have three siblings and my dad there. And it's just like anywhere I go, I have family now and it's so beautiful. That's amazing. I love that. Thank you for sharing all that with us. I That's just so, like, my heart is just full for you right now. Oh, thanks, Kara. I love it. Okay, let's go back in time a little bit and talk about how you got into running. Yeah, um, interesting. Uh, so I really wanted to be a sprinter, and I actually had a little poster of Allison Felix on my wall growing up, and... Um, like every kid wanted to be in the Olympics one day, but I really thought that I was just going to be like such a great sprinter. Um, and that didn't really pan out necessarily. (laughs) I kind of, I ran like a 59, 400, my freshman year of high school and then like, didn't get any faster. Uh, so that really slowed down. Um, but what really turned me into a long distance runner was, um, stopping cheerleading. So, um, 
you saw, I'm sure, all of our excitement when Cheer came out. I was really into it <laughs> and made people try uh, some of the moves with me because I did competitive cheerleading from like middle school through um, early high school. And like my high school team, we went to cheerleading nationals at Disney World. Like that was like, you know, m the sport that I was most excited about. Um, but something like weird happened with like some PTA moms getting sassy and um, my cheerleading coach got fired <laughs> my freshman year and I really loved her. And I just thought like, man, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, and it was the first thing that I ever quit. Um, and one of my good friends at the time said, well, why don't you just come out for cross country um, it'll keep you in good shape for track. So my sophomore year, I decided to do cross country. Um, and my parents told me many years later that they weren't sure that I could run three miles without stopping when they came to the first <laughs> cross country meet. So, um, <laughs> but little did they know, I like devised a, a loop from my house growing up that like I thought was three miles. And then when I got a GPS watch, realized it was more like two and a half classic story. Um, but I just like trained by myself and like would go try to like complete this three mile run all summer. Um, I ended up just loving cross country and, you know, made my high school varsity team my sophomore year and it was so fun. Um, then I went and sprinted again in the spring of my sophomore year and just like didn't love it as much. Um, went back, did cross country again. And, and we just gave it a try. Like, why don't I, why don't I try to run some eight hundreds? Why don't I just like run with the distance girls at practice for a while? And it's so cool. And so sweet. My mom just sent me something that she dug up that I completely forgot existed. And it was my high school coach made a little booklet for each girl at the end of the track season that had all of our, uh, you know, our, mileage total from the year every race that we ran 400 and 200 splits like depending on the the distance of the race from every race that we ran for every single girl and comments about each race every time for every single girl wow and i'm like what can you imagine doing that for someone no. <laughs> this is why high school coaches are should rule the world right yeah it's amazing and uh, so anyway, I, I read through that this past week and, um, I became a distance runner that year, um, my junior year of high school. And he, uh, there's a little excerpt of my first ever two mile that he wanted me to run for conditioning. And, um, I think I ran like just a few seconds off the state qualifying on my first try. And, uh, then from there I was a distance runner. It's pretty cute. That is cute. So we have the mean PTA moms to thank. Yeah. For, for where you are now. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. <laughs> right. So, so where did it go from there? Because you obviously progressed quickly in the sport and ended up ultimately at Illinois State for college. How did it? Yes. How did it progress for you? Um. Yeah. So I, I really consider myself a late bloomer in so many aspects. Um. I ran fast my senior year of high school, and at the time, um, Illinois was sort of on fire. Uh, the Midwest really was on fire for middle distance running um, in the era of the 2008s. Uh, I remember 
seeing like Evan Jager and Chris Derrick and all these people running super fast in Illinois at this time. So I was kind of late to the party um, and didn't have a ton of, of recruiting outside of the Midwest happening until I'd already signed with Illinois State. And I really think it was like the biggest part of part of me was like, oh, man, like, should I have waited? But I think it was a big blessing in disguise because I was able to go to a school that really allowed me to develop slowly. Um, our program, it is not and is still not exactly a storied program. Um, it's building and uh, it started building when um sort of the year before me and, and after I got there, uh, we had a, a new young coach that had come from D3 uh, in Jeff Bovey, and he had really just taken the time to um, let me get my shit together <laughs> and mm-hmm. figure out what what hard training was. Like I remember going to college and like falling asleep in all my 8 a.m. classes because I just didn't have the mileage in my body that my peers did. Um, coming from having a little bit of a late start uh, to running. And by the time I was a senior, I was uh, just finding my stride and just, you know, I I didn't make NCAAs. I never ran NCAA cross. Um, My first NCAA championship ever was indoors my senior year, and I was second in the mile and went on to run um, a fast steeple outdoor that year. And, um, our, our team won a Drake relays, which hadn't happened since 1989 or something crazy. Uh, and it, yeah, I just like slowly progressed and was a late bloomer in college. Um, but it, yeah, it was such a great experience. We had a really s- small team and, uh, yeah, if I could go back in time, I, I wouldn't change that. So how did you go from that to turning professional? I mean, you're, what, was it in your mind? Like, I want to see what I can do because you had that breakthrough year or, like, when did you start thinking about that, you know, track beyond college? Yeah, uh, it was difficult because um, I didn't really know that professional track was a thing. Like, I, I knew that Kara existed and Shalane and, like, Ryan Hall. Like, that's what I knew of professional running. Um, but I wanted to give myself um, really two more years to run. Like, my plan was – um, we had had grad assistant coaches at ISU that I adored and I think really helped foster me as an athlete. So that was sort of my, the, the framework that I had in my mind of like, okay, well, um, I don't really know very much about professional running, but I'm running really well now. I'll just give myself two more years to run and get a master's. Like, I wonder, you know, what schools would want to have me as their coach. I reached out to like 30 schools or something and only one replied and it was a no. (laughs) So it was like, oh, shit. Um, Okay, uh, next thing. And um, then I ended up just running so well indoor that – caught the attention of some agents and coaches and the rest sort of took care of itself. But what ended up happening was after, uh, after we all came back from indoors and spring break, my coach called me into the office and I, I'm kind of like a, uh, a dropper inner. Like I, I don't, I'm not really like good with my phone and texting. Like I like to just drop in on people and I've always been that way. And I always, I just would drop in and sit on my, college coach's couch and just be like, Hey, you know, what's going on? What are we doing this week? Um, that's just kind of my personality. 
And I, I got called into the office and he sat me down and asked, so Prot, uh, have you ever heard of the OTC? And I like, I was like, I thought I was in trouble because I was like, is this like the FCC? Like, did I cuss on ESPN or something? Like I didn't, I had no idea. And, um, then he explained to me that it was all oh, the Oregon track club and they have Nick Simmons and all these people and the coach is interested in coaching you. And I was like floored. I was like me, like me. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and that sort of changed the course of what I was doing. Um, from then I was, admitted into a hydrogeology grad program that I deferred and then just deferred and deferred indefinitely. And I'm never going back. Um, and moved out to, to Oregon, um, in September, I, I really sort of shirked a lot of the responsibility of, um, becoming a pro. Like I just really didn't know and like, didn't ask great questions and like didn't really know who to reach out to um because I was really new on the scene I didn't really know who anyone was like I didn't even know who to ask advice from it's it was like Instagram was new it was very a different time like you know I'm not just like slinging dms out like asking questions because I don't even (laughs) think dms were a thing um but yeah so I I ended up narrowing it down to going to OTC and going to at the time existed Austin track club and being coached by John cook. And at the time it was Shannon, um, David Torrance, Leo, Leah Wallace. Um, and maybe a couple other people were there at the time. And I, I was super lucky, um, to choose OTC for a number of reasons. And one of the reasons is that Austin track club disbanded, um, before I would have even gotten there. So that led me to moving to Eugene in 2012. Eugene, 2012. It's crazy. I, I live in Austin, so I know Austin Track Club. I don't even think it lasted as long as they were using the name. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. it was like it, it came and it went. It was kind of phantom. I'm not sure that it ever actually existed because of Cook retiring and the way all the dynamics worked with that group but that's it's it's so it's been so long since i've heard that name that it's crazy but otc obviously a legit program that you know was a big deal for a new pro at the time especially what was that like what was your baptism into professional running like oh it was a baptism by fire i got my ass kicked left, right, and center for months. Um, I just remember crying on the phone to my mom so many times and being like, I don't belong, <laughs> um, which is just so silly. Like, I was there for a reason. Like, I, I you know, needed to learn to, like, it's going to be okay, and you're there, so just take the chance. Um, but it was, it was awesome. Like, it was very, very hard. And it was so cool all in one. Um, I was just super green. So I didn't really, again, like I just like had so much learning to do uh, of what it meant to be a pro. I moved into a house with three uh, of the guys on the team, Hassan Mead, who is still one of my nearest and dearest friends, Ben Blankenship and Kirana Leonard. And it was... <laughs> 
crazy. Like it was like, we were all just the new people on the team. And um, just the dynamic of being in that house with those boys was hilarious and um, and difficult. And I learned so much. Um, but I think my biggest lesson really came from Hassan, who I, w- I was just so like a very busy person. Um, and he would say like, girl, sit down, like, just sit down. <laughs> you need to relax. You need to rest. And at this time, he watched, you know, sports center scroll through and he's heard the same story six times and I just didn't really like get I didn't really get it like I didn't really get what it meant to be a pro that like like, rest and recovery was part of of the gig so um I would just be at practice like getting lit up like beyond belief (laughs) and then like going home like well what do I do for the rest of the day um but you know it took me a while to learn and I um I think I learned the most the first time that we went to altitude and um it was the first time that I really got to see how Sally Kipiego operated and I mean she's just such a, a fierce competitor and kind human and um trains so well and is so diligent and um I think that moments like those are what I think I'll look back when I retire on and say like, wow, you know, I, I was in the wake of some of the world's greatest and, um, sort of from then on, I kind of got it of like, all right, you train hard, you recover hard and you race hard. And it was fun. Like the early years at OTC were just like the people that were on the team then. It was awesome. It was my first year, you know, Nick Simmons and Tyler Mulder were training together and Sally Kipiego was there and Russell Brown, Julia Lucas, Bridget Franick, um, Hassan, Ben and Kieran, and um, Gina Gall was just transitioning out and Lauren Fleshman was transitioning out. It was just like a powerhouse team. Um, yeah, was but, Andrew Weeding there too? Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Weeding was there. Um, yeah, Weeding was there. It was just like the who's who of, um, you know, Eugene, Oregon running all on one team together. And it was so special. Yeah, I mean, that was an incredible time for OTC. I feel like, I mean, Sally won silver medal at the Olympics that year. Um you know, Andrew Weeding made the team, of course, Nick Simmons, who went on to win silver, like, there was just so many incredible athletes. And you progressed there. I mean, I remember you ran a really fast 1500 there. So eventually, it started to click for you. I mean, you were learning from all these incredible athletes, but it was clicking for you. Oh, yeah, it, it was, I would say, so I was at OTC for four years. And the first year was a struggle. The second year, I was getting there. And um, by the third year, I had it together um, and was running really well. And it was it was surprising me how much faster I got in four years. Like I I was in college a really good racer, but like. I never really ran that fast. And I was also just like, um, I wasn't like a total athlete. Like I didn't play like ball sports growing up. Like I wasn't like particularly strong. And Roe did such a good job with us of like 
turning us more into athletes. Like I still definitely had a long way to go, um, but I was strong. And um, I remember I ran like 405 in the 15 back when that was still really fast. Um, yeah. Like kind of out of nowhere. And I was surprised, like I would do things that surprised myself. Um, and I think that was what was so cool about being in, in that group is that a lot of the work we did was just like bread and butter, middle distance work. Um, if I have a regret of those four years, it's that I didn't run more 1500s because I could just like pull them out of nowhere. Um, and that was a really cool skill that I, uh, that I acquired there. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was fun. Like now that I'm thinking about the OTC days more, it's like (laughs) so many hilarious memories come back and just like being in a, a team of, of, more we had more guys than women which is a little bit different than my situation now which is women heavy um but yeah just like being in that environment with like so many greats and rolling up to meets with um a a great crew was just awesome can we talk about this steeple chase because i don't think we've mentioned it yet obviously you have shown success at the mile but steeplechase started for you in college and have had amazing success there i know there's question marks about your future in the steeple but how did you get into it and how do you think about that versus the mile now yeah i love the steeple um it's so fun it's grueling um but i got into it because i always have identified as a miler um in college and um in high school. Um, but we had a practice, um, where our college coach, we'd come back from run and there was some hurdles set up and he said, okay, we need to determine who is, who are going to be our steeplers because, you know, Kristen here is our senior. She's the only one who's still steepling. Like we need, we need some more steeplers. So everybody on the team is going to run over a hurdle and I'll just divide you into groups of like, yes, no, maybe. So that's how it happened. And I was a yes. Uh, We all just ran over the hurdle to the best of our ability. And um, I got put into the steeple group. And I didn't run a ton of steeples in college. I think like freshman year, I might have run one, sophomore year, two, junior year, three, senior year, like maybe four or five steeples. Um, And it was really like it just played to my strengths. and I don't really know how to describe that in any way <laughs> um, other than it just kind of clicked and I enjoyed doing it. And um, I enjoyed the presence of mind needed for the event. Um, if you mess up, like you really can't think of it for long because you're uh, hurtling again in just, you know, a few meters. Um, but yeah, I, I love, I love the event and I loved part of why I loved my time at OTC so much is the bond that Mark Roland and I had over the event. Um, you know, he, he meddled in Seoul, I believe in the steeple. Um, and like, it was, it was so wonderful to learn from him, to learn the event from his perspective um and to and to race and to race it and 
I, I've loved the steeple because over the years, it's like, it's such a similar cast of characters. And I've really grown up in that event as a pro. And like, there are days that I just totally miss being in a steeple field of all of the same uh, women that I've been racing, you know, for however many years. And um, yeah, yeah, it's just like such a raw, powerful, like endurance based event that is so unlike any other. It's like if you if you nail a good steeple, I'm telling you, there's just not a better feeling. Like if you because if you hit it wrong, you hit it so wrong and it's horrible. Um, but when you get it right, it's just, you feel on top of the world. That's awesome. Well, something else happened at OTC. Is that, is that where you met Will? Actually, <laughs> yes, but no, I met him before. Um, we, I'm like, I don't know we didn't make this decision together, but we were like very secretive about our relationship. Um, and I don't know why I think it's probably my fault because I didn't realize we were dating for several months when we were dating, (laughs) which is so funny. I just like, I'm not really good with like signals. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Um, so anyway, we apparently started dating in like July of 2012. We met in Leuven, Belgium, hence our dog's name, Leuven. Um, and yeah, we met it again, super green coming out of college, don't know anything. And, uh, Anne walks this like super hot guy. Um, we're watching, uh, the movie Zombieland and I think Mark Bedorf's apartment in the summer of 2012. And this like mega hottie comes in the room I'm, and in my mind, I'm like, huh, I wonder who that is. Um, but was like very determined, uh, to like race well and run well. My first summer in Europe, I was over there sort of still being coached by my college coach, trying to figure out where I was going in life. Um, not really super interested in like dating, but we totally like hit it off, had a huge fling. And I thought that that was going to be it. Like, and then we just, he was moving to Los Angeles and I was moving to Eugene and he used to be on the OTC, but like, isn't now. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, this is just like a summer fling, like just living it up. And apparently we were dating uh, from then. And, <laughs> um, but I, I was really adamant about um, moving to Eugene and, and being Aisha and not necessarily attack, like not having the tagline of like, oh, I'm Aisha, I'm Will Lear's girlfriend. Um, independence is like very important to me. Um, and he always respected that. So, uh, he, he could sort of handle my pushback <laughs> and, um, yeah, I remember we just like, we were dating and people that were our close friends knew, but you know, we never really updated our relationship status, um, ever. <laughs> and, um, when we got married in 2016, um, I remember being out with Emma after she won her medal in Rio and her grabbing my hand and saying like, Oh my gosh, are you engaged? Like, I just like, was it, I just like didn't update people on my life like that. Um, but yeah, so we, yeah, we've been, we've been together since, 
since 2012 when I was just a baby and he was also just a baby. He's five years older than me, but I swear he's like five years younger than me in maturity level. So it works perfect. (laughs) What's it been like being with another professional runner? This is like, I think it's really interesting. And I'm always like, man, if we had, like, if there were a reality TV show of professional athlete couples, I would find it really interesting. And then somebody else would probably be like, no, that's the most boring thing ever. Like, nobody's pouring drinks on each other's heads. This is garbage. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> and maybe Kara, like, can speak to this too, but I find it, I, it's been really challenging um, to have a two athlete household for, I mean, how we've been together for almost eight years now. And, what what happened with our running and with our relationship is sort of like a, I don't know, like a, a, a passing of a torch in a sense. Like I remember when we first started dating, I really, like I wasn't that good yet at running. Um, nobody really knew who I was. And Will was like so, starting to soar at the height of his career. And um, – like I said, we weren't really public that public about our relationship. Um, so it was like double down on like, um, you know, all eyes on will. And I was sort of in the background and I, like, I was comfortable with that. Like I, um, that's, that's easy for me. I'm a little bit more introverted. So like, I'm, I'm okay. Like hanging back a little bit. Um, but I, I remember some of the first times where we'd we'd be at a big meet and then we'd go to wherever everybody goes after the race and we would just walk in together and then just like ping pong off of each other. And I would, I used to call him the mayor because he knows everyone and he's also Minnesotan. So he would do like huge Minnesota, Minnesotan goodbyes where we wouldn't leave a place for an hour. Cause he's got to talk to like, you know, <laughs> 50 people and say goodbye like six times. And, um, I, I remember just like, sort of really being in the backseat for a few years. Um, and then something w- started changing um, in 2015, 2016. His running was starting to slow down and mine was really just starting to take off. I would say it took me like three years of being a, a pro to like really start to hit it. Um, and then and then the dynamic changed and I think it was rough on both of us. Um, I think it's, it's tough for any athlete who's dealing, you know, well dealt with a string of injuries for years. Um, and I think that's tough for anyone, any athlete who is seeing sort of their best years starting to go behind them. And then for their spouse to see their best years are coming in front of them. And there were definitely moments that were really a strain. Um, on just like the, the balance of like me being super happy and him being disappointed after a race or a workout. And it's like a very eggshell period of time, but like to give Will credit, he, he really was a, a big motivating factor in me moving to Boulder, um, and, and looking for a new coach and a new training partner and, and 
realizing that, wait a second, like my running is now the priority. Um, and I think that that takes a really special person to, to realize that and to be able to say like, all right, like you've been on my team for four years. Like now I'm going to be on your team. Um, so that was a big paradigm shift in our household. And even just like in the households of our families, um, of like now, okay, we're, we're changing the script and the career that we are going to prioritize is mine. Um, and like, I, I feel like that was so special and unique of a time in 2016. It was really Will who said like, are, are we making the right move here? My, my contract was up um, in December and, and the question was raised like, what is the right move here? Like you, you want to be great. You realize you want to run for longer than you thought you did. Like, let's really think critically about where you're going to flourish the most. Um, And so he was a big driving force in finding a more sustainable solution for, um, I would say like my more adult years as an athlete. And then, so we transitioned here in Boulder and, um, it's been, I I think it's, it would be interesting to be a fly on, on the wall of our house because it's so, um, everything is just so shared. Like whoever is the most tired on the day does less. And like the routine doesn't look like a normal household routine. It's like, he does something, then I do something, then he does something, then I do something. Like it's very, um, I don't know. It's very like, uh, equitable, um, how we share tasks. And I think that that is sort of born of being an athlete couple forever. Um, you, we understand that the strain the other person is, is under. So we're just like, we're just sharing (laughs) in all of, all of the tasks, all of the burden, and then also all of the emotional burden of good races, bad races, good days at practice, bad days at practice. Um, and we sort of come out the other side of like, like Will being so incredibly supportive and behind my running, um, in whatever that means. And like, I've, come around the other side of, of like feeling super grateful to have a partner who, who values that and, um, isn't interested in the traditional gender roles uh, of a marriage and, um, who is, who's there to say like, okay, uh, you're going to Crested Butte for four weeks. Like, okay, great. See you when you get back and, um, can really just ride, ride the highs and the lows with me. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. That is so relatable to me. Everything you just talked about. Yeah. And you're talking about the passing of the torch. I'm like getting goosebumps. I'm like, wow, that's the perfect way to describe my own personal experience. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And to me, it is so, so relatable. And I think it's so cool that he helped nudge you to where you are now because you are really, really coming into your own over the last couple of years 
um, at the Boss Hard Group. So tell us about that group. It continues to grow. I feel like it just keeps having success. And you were the first official member, I think. Yeah. Um, And so tell us about your group. Tell us about the dynamic of that group, because it seems like you guys have something really special going on and you just got another new teammate. So talk to us about the Boss Hard Babes. Yeah, our group is very unique. Um, And I don't know what exactly makes it different. If I could point to one idea, um, other than there's a lot of logistics that make our groups Excuse me, I just burped. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of um, logistical things that make our group special in that, you know, we don't share a shoe sponsor. We, um, a few of us run for different countries and we all come from different backgrounds and different previous coaches. Um, So all of those things make our group unique. But I think on an ideological level, what makes our group unique is that from the onset, Emma and I share this belief that more than one person in the room can have success. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's ubiquitous in sport. I just, I think that certain people operate that way and certain people don't. And that I'm not saying that one way is better than the other, but the way that we operate is that more than one person in the room can be crushing it. And it's better for us, the more people that are in the room that are crushing it, because it makes us raise our level. So that was sort of my whole thought process for myself when I, when, when Will and I decided that like, all right, let's, let's look for something let's look for something new. And I thought like, all right, I, um, I want to be better. I want to be, I'm good now, but I'd rather be great. And I think that the best way to do that is to go like, get my ass kicked again. Uh, and, um, and then I ended up meeting, uh, meeting up for similar needs and formed this group and Joe, it was Joe's inaugural year coaching. And, um, from there, we just sort of set the tone. And Emma winning world championships that year set the tone for for our group. And we've meticulously added athletes that, one, share that same ideology of, you know, more, more than one person can have success at one time. And also just like have like a, a thing about them. And I, I can't really describe it, but we have a bunch of people who just want the same thing for each other. And I think there are groups that share this power of like when they put their, their team's Jersey on, they just like become like a superpower. And I, we don't have a team Jersey, but like, I think that a little bit about our team is that like, I'm a representative of this group and like, I, I want to crush it. Because I know if I do, then the person next to me will also do. And it's just sort of grown that way. And I think, I know I, for one, was just super excited that Danny wanted to join our group. Because I think she marks the first person who is coming out of college in the position that they could, she could go anywhere. 
you know, she's so good. She's so talented. And I think she could succeed anywhere. Like she's just that good. And the fact that she chose to come with us, I think, um, really means something that like what we wanted to grow, we have succeeded in growing and will continue to grow. And it's been just like such a delight to see uh, Joe grow as a coach in the last, I guess, four years. Um, and yeah, we just like have great synergy and it's, it's a joy to, to be part of. And it was so cute. We were doing a, um, a long threshold and Danny said, um, I, I just like keep telling myself it shouldn't be this fun. And mm. <laughs> I was like, that's so sweet. But that really, like, I think a lot of people think that from the outside looking in that like, maybe it's too good to be true. Like maybe we like all actually hate each other or something, but like, it isn't too good to be true. Um, we have a really nice time and we really elevate each other. And, um, yeah, it's just like, it's something that I'm super proud to be part of. I think your group is really special. I think, you know, when Emma won world champs in 2017, you were a little dinged up and, but you were so happy for her. And then a year later you won Commonwealth and she was so excited. And I mean, you guys are willing to race each other. You guys had that famous picture where you won at Milrose, the three of you, I think it was Dom and you and Emma, like at the line together. And so it's, and just with Laura Thweet at the trials, like it is a special situation where I feel like there isn't this jealousy animosity. It's like as soon as someone does good, it just like raises the like energy level of the group for the next person and the next person. And I mean, this winter you spent a few races pacing your teammates to the times they needed. So it's really, it is really cool to see. I have to say, it's just like really refreshing following you guys. And it seems like the culture is just really genuine. And just like you said, everyone can be a superstar and the more the merrier. You nailed it. Totally. I I think there's like, I feel like there's like an anti mean girls movement happening slowly. Um, And I just hope that continues. Like I hope that people see that you can, you can be happy. You can be friendly. Like you can love someone. And then when you know, when you're done working together to make the race fast, like I can absolutely try to unleash a kick on, uh, on my teammates. And I hope that they try to unleash a kick on me too. And then after the race is over, we're going to hug and like it, and it's going to be great and fun. Like, I, I think that there is a place for, um, for an and here, like you can be friends and competitors. And, uh, I think we're really striking that chord, right? I think that's true in di- women's distance running in the U.S. broadly, seems like there is a, obviously you guys have something special, but there is a collective that's bigger than that too that seems to be cheering for each other and as well as raising each other uh, up. And and it's beautiful to watch as a fan. But I want to go back to the Commonwealth Games. I mean, that is massive to win the Commonwealth Games, to beat two Kenyan athletes second and third on the podium. How did that feel? That was awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it seems so long ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. Um, It was a time in my life where I was so singularly focused um, and so all in on 
this one race. Uh, and I'm really proud of that. I think, um, going back to Emma winning world championships in 2017, as Kara mentioned, I was, I was banged up and, um, but I got the vantage point of seeing my training partner win a world championship from inside the race and to feel that energy. And I was upset about my own performance, but so thrilled for her. And about a week later, all I wanted to do was win. Um, and I know that like all the sports, my sports psych included, all sports I will tell you, like having an outcome goal is maybe just not the best use of your time. But I definitely had a searing outcome goal of winning Commonwealth Games. Um, I knew that it was really going to come down to myself and the Kenyans. Jen Lacaz had been pretty banged up leading into it, or else she would have been an equally formidable competitor. Um, and I knew that it had really was really going to come down to myself and Salafine Chespool, who had run um, – 8.58 at pre-classic the year before. She was like the newest preeminent Kenyan steepler at the time. Uh, and I knew that that was going to be the race. Like I knew it from a week after world championships. And I, um, I took my break, healed myself up and just went wholeheartedly into the training and put my head down and, um, shifted from my crazy outcome goal that I thought about all the time to, um, leaning into the process of training and preparing myself. And I spent a lot of solo time getting ready for this race because Commonwealth games were in April at the end of April. Um, no end of March, beginning of April of, uh, 2018, which is a strange time in the year to have a race to peak for. But I knew I like fully trusted and believed that Joe could have me ready for it and just went to work. And I, we were talking about my training before this string of races and like none of it was really that impressive. Um, but I just was there. Like I, I would be doing a long run and I would be up at mags and like I would be thinking about chess bowl and I would be envisioning myself in this race, like making moves, like being a protagonist. And, um, yeah, it was just like, it was, it was one of the most focused times I've ever been in my life. Um, and getting down to Australia, like I, I don't know, I just, things were just clicking and I come off of a great indoor season. We, um, we raced at Melrose. I, won the three camp Melrose went uh second in the 15 at New Balance Indoor Grand Prix against a really awesome field of 1500 meter women decided kind of on a whim to go to world indoors ended up sixth there behind like freaking uh Sipan Hassan, Laura Muir, um Genzebe Dababa Shelby Houlihan and Winnie Chibet. And then I was six. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, these <laughs> like, like, this is, this is a loaded field. Like what? Like I, I guess I'm super fit. Like let's, let's just keep it rolling. And, um, got down to Australia and Joe flew down and it was just like, it was just simple. I, you know, at the time I, I 
been in a in a village before so like it wasn't my first rodeo dealing with a a village for those of you that aren't familiar commonwealth games really is a a scaled down version of the olympics it's like the same setup it's the same sports plus some commonwealth sports like netball and lawn bowls and uh games that aren't necessarily played globally um but it's it's very much like a village and and all these sports are going on so you have like swimming and diving and gymnastics and all these things are also happening. Um, but I had practice at, at all of this from, from Rio. So I just kind of knew how to, I just, I just felt like I belonged there. I knew, I knew my purpose. I knew what I wanted to do and, um, warming up for the race that night. I just like, of course I was nervous cause you always are, but I was also like eerily calm and, um, it was a perfect night. I mean, it was like, uh, kind of like one of those Stanford nights, um, like a Peyton Jordan type vibe of like there, it was breezy during the day. And then, you know, the wind died down. It was like the perfect temperature. There's a state of packed stadium of people, brand new Mondo track, just like everything was perfect. And, and I, I knew that I, I knew what I had to do. And, um, Joe and I discussed the race before and he just assured me that whatever was going to happen, I could handle it. And whatever that, whatever happens, like I had to handle it. If moves were made, I had to cover them and only to lead coming. uh, The only time I, I should be in the lead is coming off the water jump to finish and I had just the searing memory of watching Emma um, take that last water jump in 2017. Just like thinking about it gives me goosebumps. And that's that's where she won world championships. And I knew what it was supposed to look like. And I just had that that in my mind. And we start the we go out. Um, I've I've raced Jen Lacaze for years and she and I are good friends on the circuit and she just got a deafening round of applause because she's racing at home for Commonwealth Games. Um, and, and I just remember smiling on the line of like, gosh, this is cool. And we go out in a really slow first K and then uh, chest pull just bam, takes it with 2K to go and we are just blistering. And the rest of the field falls away and it's just her and I, and, um, I'm hanging in there. I'm hurting. And, um, at one point she had gapped me by maybe like 30 meters, but I hadn't given up. And I knew from sort of my indoor racing that like, I, I can kick with a vengeance and to just stay in striking distance of her, um, and with about 300 to go, I really started to lay, to put the pedal down. And with every barrier, I was, I was catching her and catching her and catching her until um, I took a really strong last water and just came around and made the biggest move in my life and, and won the race. And, and in situations like that, like the crowd has fallen away. I don't hear anything. I just know that this is this is what I want. And this, this is all of the decisions that I've made of like 
hey, I, I do want to be great at this. Like, I, I do want to challenge myself. I want to see if I can be one of the best in the world. It was just like all coming to, to fruition in a hundred meters. And um, yeah, it's far and away the best sporting achievement and moment of my life. It was amazing. I mean, like, it was amazing. The, the picture of you crossing that line and seeing your happiness after and you're doing a little dance on the track. Like, it was just so <laughs> awesome because... I knew that was your goal for the year. And it was just like, you just, you kept it together upstairs. You kept it together, you know, you kept your emotions in check and you just executed it. It was just, it was totally awesome. It was Thanks, great. Tara. Yeah. Okay. Well now we have to step away from that happy memory just for a second, because you have reached the highest heights, you know, six in the world and 1500 indoors, Commonwealth champion um, in, in two events that, have a history of doping, especially on the women's side, the steeple and the 1500. Yeah. When did you learn about doping as an athlete? When did you even learn that was a thing? Um, I like heard the first speckles of doping when I was over in Europe for the first summer in 2012. Like I really, I did not know that doping still existed. I thought it was like something that happened in the eighties and nineties. And then that was it. Um, but it's a, it is a topic of conversation at every meet. And, um, I really started learning about it in 2012, but like, it was a really obscure idea to me. Um, and I didn't really know how pervasive it was until probably 2013, 2014, when I'm like starting to really understand the sport. Um, so yeah, it, it took me a while to really see like, oh my gosh, like this is this is a huge issue, and I need to um, I need to learn more. and And my first reaction was to be really upset and um, to really not understand and to just question everyone and everything around me. And like it was sad. It was like it was like somebody shattered a mirror in front of me of like what I thought was just like so pure and great. It was just like kind of shady and shitty. It is like glass shattering. I mean, I feel like that's how it is when you really realize how pervasive it is. And so I'm curious for you, like I said, the women's steeple does not have a great history. Um, the women's 1500 does not have a great history yet. You, you train with love and passion and desire how do you put what you know aside and still go for your dreams and your goals? It's super hard to put the knowledge aside. Um, and I really struggled with it for a few years. Um, I, there was one conversation that was really formative for me. And um, my husband and I were up with the Willises um, up at their cottage in northern Michigan. And I think this is the summer of 2014. And Nick said something to me that really resonated and still resonates with me. And that's, yeah, the 15, his event, um, is incredibly dirty. Women's steeplechase, dirty. Women's 1500, very dirty. Um, but he said something that, to the effect of, I know I'm going to get my ass kicked all year in the Diamond League. And all season, it's just going to, people are going to be running crazy times. But I know that when I get to a championship, it's the cleanest that everyone will be. Um, because 
you know, athletes have to be on site for a long time. And um, drug testing is uh, its most complete at a championship. And like, that's where I will prevail is when, when people are weakened from not being on so many drugs and psychologically knowing that they are not uh, on all their stuff, uh, that's when I'll get them. And like, I've always held on to that of like, yeah, you know what? I, I know for a fact that when I step on a starting line, that I am not on a level playing field, but the moments that are going to mean the most to me in my career are at these championships. And that's the moments, or those are the moments that where people that are not playing by the same code of contact of me are at their weakest. Um, so I just like get a little bit of a chip on my shoulder and like have like a little bit of a come at me dog kind of mentality of like, all right, well, when, when the chips are all on the table, like we will see how it really goes. Um, yeah. And, and another thing that I think about is like, like it sucks. I think about, I almost like periodize how much I think about doping in the off season. I am thinking about it all the time. I am talking about it. I'm tweeting about it. I'm, uh, you know, like immersed in what is going on. And then when I am starting to race and when, when things are getting really serious, I just have to block it out and pretend that I can race anyone and truly, truly believe that. But I also think like in the times where I'm like being more reflective, like, am I actually super good? And I don't know it. Mm -hmm. And Mm. like, that hurts to think a little bit of like, like, how good is everyone else? Like, or is everybody else really that much better than me? Or like, where do I actually sit in the world? Yes. That gets to me. Yes. That's the stuff that drives me crazy is I had a call last year from the Olympic committee telling me I was officially fifth in the 2008 Olympics or officially eighth in the 2008 Olympics. (laughs) And, you know, four women ahead of me have served bans or been suspicious. And that's the stuff that I I really appreciate you saying that because that's the stuff that eats at you. Because it, you're okay saying, hey, you know what? I was six in the world. I did everything right. That's not bad. That's actually really fucking good. But yeah. it's when you start to think, well, but was I better? And am I comparing myself to something that's not real? And I've spent my whole life doing this and I'll never really get to know. I mean, that's the stuff that makes me like need a drink. Oh, <laughs> yes, totally. It's like when you, when you get down that rabbit hole of like, hang on a minute, like, is this like, where do I stand? And also like, it gets deeper than that. It's not just the end result. It's how do we get to that race? Like mm-hmm. the, the last K of the 1500 uh, world indoors in 2018 was, I think that the winner ran like 230 or 229 or like whatever, their last K was, was like world record K. Right. After a a bunch of rounds of races. And I'm like, okay, what? Like (laughs) you just start to think about it. Like, okay, if the, let's, let's say that the result is, is one thing, but would the result be different if someone who 
um, is on drugs is, is not the protagonist. Right. Like, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like it changes the dynamic of the race. The entire dynamic. Yep. And maybe now this is a race that you can win in a kick. Um, Right. Yeah, it changes everything. I appreciate how you've become more outspoken. And I've really appreciated last year in Doha when, you know, you're at the world championships and you only get so much time in front of the camera and you, you chose to take your time to talk about progress in catching dopers, essentially. And so where did, mm-hmm. like, how have you made that shift? I mean, you don't always want to be talking about it. Like you said, you need to be focusing on yourself, but that really stood out to me as this is your opportunity to talk about yourself and the, your career and the, your season. And you chose to discuss that. Like what, how did you land there? I think a couple of things have changed for me in the last couple of years where I feel like I can be my authentic self. Um, I think a large part of it is I am now sponsored by Under Armour and they sponsor me as a human. And of course my performance matters. Um, but they also um, allow me to have a voice that's my own. Uh, so I feel not afraid to say something or like say how I truly feel. Uh, and I haven't always felt like that in my career. So I have that in the back of my mind. And um, I also, you know, transitioned to a new event. And Women's Steeple is is a dirty event, you know, Ruth Jabat, Olympic champion, test positive for EPO. Um, but then I moved to the 15, which is, you know, arguably worse. You look at the London 2012 final and you just like start erasing bodies because mm-hmm. everybody's tested positive. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. Like, this is affecting all the people in those races, all the people that didn't make it out of the semifinal because of all of these people that are taking up the space. And I just really have begun to, as I've gotten older, realize like that this actually affects me and this affects people I love. And it's not freaking fair. Like it, it isn't, it, it doesn't sit well with me to feel so strongly about something and to just sit on it. And um, in the last couple of years, I, I have felt like I, I can say something. And with everything that was going on um, at in Doha, like number one, it was such a distraction of the wall that I put up in my mind when I'm going to race of like, okay, here I am. I'm going to step on the starting line and believe that I belong on the starting line, that I can beat anybody, that I have the skills that can compare to anyone here. And here we go. But with all of the Salazar stuff that came out, it, it really penetrated that force field that I made for myself. of like, wait, no, no, no. Like this isn't, these, these aren't level playing fields. And and we're talking about systems of abuse and um, and just like boldface cheating that I can't get behind. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, I couldn't keep saying no comment, and I couldn't keep just 
not caring. And when I joined Team Jamaica, I felt like I had to defend myself a lot because um, Jamaicans love track and they know everything that's going on. And when I joined with a logo that had the word Oregon in it, people asked questions of like, Mm -hmm. oh, who's your coach? Oh, so uh, do you train with so-and-so? Well, what about all of this? Like, what about this stuff that I saw on a, a Let's Run diet? And I would have to be like, no, 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 no. I have nothing to do with them. I train in, in a different city with a different coach. It's a different club. It's, you know, it's like I had to draw those lines of like, no, 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 no. I have nothing to do with this. Um, and I, I don't know. I felt like it just like kind of came full circle of like, I don't want to just bear witness to this anymore um, and not call out like, okay, a coach gets suspended for four years, but like, what about the athletes? And, you know, we're at world championships where this, this is like the biggest mattering of it mattering. Like this is the pinnacle. And why, why aren't we talking about this more? And why aren't we, why isn't there suspicion? And, and if you chose to be in this, in this arena, like, and, and choose to surround yourself with certain people, then like, yeah, like getting a question asked, um, is only fair. I don't know. It sucked. Well, you handled yourself well. I I think I watched one of your interviews today and, uh, I think one of the, my favorite quotes was when you said something effective, you know, score one for the good guys for a change. (laughs) Hell yeah. So, we appreciate you using your voice. I think the athlete needs the opportunity to use their voice more on this topic. That's one of the reasons why we do this podcast. As you think about the future, what would you like to see to feel better that we're moving in the right direction, that we're leveling the playing field? I would like to see lifetime bans. Um, I would also like to see out of competition testing um, either be more regular or, um, governed by a different body than, uh, the NDOs. I think that testing is unfair. People aren't being tested at the same rates and under the same circumstances to catch, um, to catch doping in, in training. Like, as I said, you know, early in the season is when, crazy times are being run. Um, and I would like to see everybody subjected to the same level of, of anti-doping testing. And two, I think that slaps on the wrist, short bands, it's, it's just not enough of a deterrent. It's, it depends culturally of like what, what country you're in, what, um, a minor doping offense carries for you. Is there public shame? Is there no public shame? But like, it shouldn't be left up to the court of public opinion. It should be if you, if you dope, you fail drug tests, like you are out. I don't, I don't see things getting dramatically better until we have lifetime bans. Yeah. I love it. I agree. I love that you feel firm and strong about it. It's just great. And you have been so generous with your time and honesty with us today. I just want to close on a happy note. Um, 
I know you're headed up to do a fun training camp with your group. You have Tokyo 2021 coming up. Um, Tell us a little bit, I mean, just quickly, like you're getting to meet with your group. How are you guys progressing through this time and looking forward to next year? I am so excited to see my training partners again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy. I like, I saw the day that we went, we took a social distance picture with Danny to announce that she, she was joining the group and I hadn't seen the women for months. Like I hadn't seen Laura since the marathon trials. So it's just so great to be um, dipping my toes into being with training partners again. Um, We're going to go up to Crested Butte. Um, We've been slowly reintroducing ourselves to each other um, and training in small groups within our group. Um, But yeah, we're going to, we're going to go up and sort of isolate ourselves um, for a while. 10 days, two weeks, making sure that we're all good. Um, and then get to training. I mean, I think that we should be able to get some race efforts in. I'm not exactly sure what it'll look like. Um, of course we're going to follow all of the, um, guidelines and regulations locally and nationally, um, to accomplish something. But I really do feel like even with the women in, in our group, if we all lined up uh, for one race, just ourselves, like it's a pretty damn good field. So I'm looking forward to stacking more money in the bank uh, of training for another year and then gaining some confidence with some hard efforts and, and getting ready for 2021. Well, we can't wait. I mean, this has been so great talking to you, Aisha. You've been so honest with us and it's been really, really great. And I just, you just have like this positive energy and I, I can feel your excitement to be able to train with your teammates again. So I'm excited for you guys to get together and just thank you so much for sharing so much with us today. And thank you for being an athlete that we can cheer for and root for and believe in. It, it means a lot to us and to our fans. Thank you so much, Kara. And thank you, Chris. Thanks for your time. Aisha Pratt-Lear, everyone. And we should be the ones thanking her as she was so generous with her time and with her perspectives on clean sport. Thanks to Kara for leading that interview. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Clean Sport Collective, you can go to cleansport.org where you can learn about the organization as well as sign the pledge. You can also follow us on social media at cleansportco. That's at cleansportco on Twitter and Instagram to join in the conversation. Otherwise, please keep listening. We'll be back to you with another episode next week, and we'll talk to you then.